You know, it's always fun when you're going to teach and you have uh, technical difficulties. It uh, makes you uh, humble. And um, my life is one humble after another. You know, it's the bad thing about stepping on landmines is you lose body parts when you do that. So we're going to do some thinking this morning. This is a sages class, which means you have learned wisdom over years. And um, so we're going to have some tests this morning. So I want you to think about this. You get these questions all the time. What has four letters? Sometimes nine letters, but never has five letters. It's a trick question. It's just data. What has four letters? Sometimes has nine letters, but never has five letters. Have you been tricked? Who did no question marks? So you didn't observe there was no question mark. Okay, how about this? This is better. Uh, a good friend of mine sent this to me. What is the difference between complete and finished? Well, maybe this will help. If you marry the right woman, you are complete. <laughs> if you marry the wrong woman, you are finished. <laughs> but if the right woman catches you with the wrong woman, you are completely finished. <laughs> All right, so now that I've totally misdirected you on what we're talking about, we're going we're gonna to continue that with math. Now, some of you are really good at math, and some are, and I'm going to let Abbott and Costello explain math to you. And uh, they're pretty good at it. It's, it's kind of hard, hard to hear, so hopefully you can hear it, so you need to be real quiet. Oh, you're a I think my pants fail. Oh. I happen to be their landlord. They always suddenly throw
It's worse than that. Kind of confusing, isn't it? Now, how many math teachers in here were insulted by that? <laughs> That's pretty bad. But things are things can be confused if you change things around. So we're going to get some wisdom uh, today. And so what we're going to talk about is some some of the experience books. This is a time scale of the Bible, and you can see that you know time started about 4,000 BC, and we are about 6,000 years since then. And during the period between 1600 and 1000, the, the uh, middle books of the Bible, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, were written. Now those experience books teach us how to live. That's their purpose. That's what they're for. And so what we're going to talk about today is Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes asks the question, is life really about following God's rules? What about having fun? or some other purpose. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I, I want to enjoy life, right? We want to do that. Well, for some of you, you may feel like this. <laughs> that sometimes my life is just an example for other people. Now, if you can't see, that's a ship sticking out of the water. Um, but you don't want your life to be that way. So what's Ecclesiastes all about? Well, it's life without God has no meaning. That's the message of Ecclesiastes. And so the perspective is, there's a phrase that's repeated in the book, under the sun, and the other one is under heaven. And so it divides into two sections. The first section is the under the sun section, and the, third, the second section is the under the heaven section. Under the sun, life is meaningless. Under heaven, life is meaningful. And we're going to talk about that. And there's questions. There's nine questions under the sun and chasing under wind and under heaven. There's three, three answers that we're going to give you today. All right, so open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to talk about that. And I'm going to read for you, but we're going to, we're going to go. Solomon explored the meaning of life. He's the author of the book. And he, first he starts out with the bad news, and you've heard this. In uh, chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And so what's he talking about? He's saying life is meaningless. But there's good news, but we'll cover that later. So there's two views of life. The first is life under the sun. And that's what we see in the next verse. He says, what advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? 
Now that phrase, under the sun, occurs over and over again. So what advantage does man have? Okay, so we're talking about two views of life, life under the sun, and life under the sun is life where there's no God. It's the secular humanist world. It's the world where there is no God. That's life under the sun. But then there's the life under heaven. Look in verse 13. We're going to jump around. I'm not going to read every verse. We don't have time. And he said, I, And I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It's a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. So this is life under heaven. It's life where God is. And God talks about later that he has put eternity in our hearts. And we'll talk about that some more. So we really have two different views of life, life under the sun and life under heaven. And then he brings up striving after the wind. How many of you have heard that phrase, striving after the wind? Most, many of you have. Okay, look at it. It shows up in verse 17. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I realized that this was also is striving after the wind. So what is the deal with striving after the wind? Well, why is chasing the wind futile? Well, wind is moving air. You know, one of the things I started last year is learning how to fly an airplane. And moving air affects airplanes. And sometimes it's kind of scary, actually, <laughs> when you're not used to it. But if we captured it, the air would stop moving, right? And non-moving air is not wind. So that very act of capturing it changes it so wind is never captured. You cannot capture the wind. It is futile. Because when you catch it, you change it. So chasing the wind pictures the futility of life. So these guys are running around. They're trying to catch it, but they are not going to be successful. All right, so now he moves into the question and answer section. That's where we're going to start. The first question is going to be in these first 11, chap first 11 verses. So does what I do in my life matter? I mean, that's kind of important. Does what I do, I get up in the morning, am I just consuming resources? So he gives some data. He says there's no satisfaction and there's no remembrance. Nothing satisfies. And you think about that. Ultimately, nothing we do really, it just doesn't make a difference. And then there's the remembrance thing. Look in verse 11. There is no remembrance of the earlier things and also of the later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. So you just think about how poetically he is describing that everybody forgets. Everybody forgets. And I'll give you an example. It's straight from Kansas, sort of. Actually, it's from our backyard. This is a, a we have a garden train in our yard. And that house there is a replica of my wife's father's farmhouse that he grew up in, in uh, Mullenville, Kansas. I know y'all have all been there. Excuse me, not Mullenville, Felsberg, excuse me. And, um, but for her, it has a lot of meaning. But for our kids, it has much less meaning. Because when she went, there were cousins and there was family, there was people there. You go there now, it's a hunting cabin, you know, for guys to go pheasant hunting. It's not the same place. And you know what, you stand there, and the people you expect to see aren't there. You see, the, it just doesn't last. And think about things in your life like that that just don't last for you. And this is for her, and it's meaningful. So when Kathy and I are gone, the kids are going to have to figure out what to do with the farmhouse. Um, 
but it won't be our problem. So now the answer is, under the sun, remember we're under the sun, there's no God, nothing I do matters. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. It doesn't matter. All right, so let's move on to the next question, and that is, does lifestyle give meaning? We hear a lot in our culture about lifestyle, but we're not going to talk about those kind of lifestyles today. We're going to talk about different lifestyles. So he gives us some data. He says, he says, what about if I learn wisdom? Well, there's pain there. The more you learn, the more pain that comes into your life because you see I see this trend line in my family. I see this trend line in our culture, and I have learned enough to know where that end is. It hurts. And fun. Who's been on a trip? Likes vacation, stuff like that. They end, don't they? Unless you decide to live on a cruise ship, I guess. You build things. I love building things. I mean, it's just, it's, I like the train in the backyard. I just love it. But then I'm done. And then I'm supposed to actually go run that train? I don't know. Building it was the fun part. And then there's wealth accumulation. He talks about that. What are your heirs going to do with the money you leave them? Yeah, here's some. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just what's going to happen when you're gone? Well, you don't have any control because you're gone. So does your lifestyle, does all that saving and scrimping and everything uh, have any meaning. He said, but he goes on and says you still need to enjoy. So he gives us a little bit. So the answer is, under the sun, every lifestyle is futile. It doesn't matter. Whatever you think, it's just futile. Because without God, there's no meaning. All right, so let's go on. He goes to the third question, and this is, those of you who are fans of the birds will, and I'm not going to play any of that, will get this. This is chapter three. He talks about, do I have any control over my life? And the data is we are time slaves, yet we're eternally aware. This is where he talks about a time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot. But then he gets to, to verse 11. Read with me there. He said, he has made everything appropriate in its time, which is really a cool statement if you think about that. He has also set eternity in their heart. Yet so, that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. So he's put eternity in our hearts. That's why everybody, there really is no atheist. Now there is somebody who is arguing with God, but God has put eternity in your heart. He, you know, everyone knows intrinsically that this life is not all there is. There is something else. We know it. God has put it there. So we are slave to time, but we're eternally aware. Ask you a question. People die they go to heaven. The scripture talks about bodily resurrection. Are they resurrected? We like to picture them walking into heaven and meeting Jesus, right? But the bodily resurrection hasn't happened from our perspective. But in an eternal perspective where there's no time, has it already happened? There you go. Think about that. So we're slave to time. We're aware of eternity, but we don't understand it. The answer is God is in control. God is in control. Do we have any control? No. God says, you're not going to figure it out. He's in control. So now he goes to the next question. And the next question is, is it better to win or to lose? How many of you like to win? How many of you are losers? <laughs> I got one volunteer. You're not a loser. We all like to win. 
Yes, he married well. And, you know, losing is no fun. I don't like to lose either. And so he talks about that. He talks about injustice. He talks about death. And he talks about losing and winning. Let's look in chapter 4, verses 5 and 8. And look at the differences here. He says, and it's kind of hard, a little bit hard to understand, but he says, the fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. What does he mean by that? He's not doing anything. And in that culture, not in our culture, but in that culture, in that time, if you don't do anything to earn a living and have food, guess what? You live off your reserves until they're gone, and then you die. That's the way it worked. That's the way it's worked throughout history. That's what he's talking about. So that's the loser. Then come down to verse 8. He says, There was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son or a brother, yet there was no end to all of his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, And for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity, and it's a grievous task. So this is the man who, he, ha- he is working hard, but he never stops and asks, why? For who? Because remember, he's going to die. We're all going to die. All right. So this is what he's talking about in this data section. He says, is it better to win or lose? Injustice, death, losing versus winning? So the answer is, under the sun, life is hopeless for both winners and losers. It doesn't matter whether you win or lose. Because there's always a caveat. If you're winning for yourself and it's all going to get left to the state of Texas, what have you accomplished? I've had two relatives die intestate, by the way. And um, it is a pain. And, you know, it's, you, it's almost the, the resources are irretrievable. It's, it is a mess. And the state, you know, they have rules, you know, they'll take that money and they'll, hold, they'll give it back to you if you meet all the requirements. <laughs> but, but I bet they spent it. I bet they spent it. Now, I don't know if you remember the old movie 40 years ago, Chariots of Fire. There's a great scene where um, the one, two of the runners are talking and uh, Harold Abrahams is getting his rub down prior to running the 100-meter dash, I believe, which was his event, and he had to win. And he makes some great comments in there. He talks about winning and losing because he had lost a couple of races at the Olympics. The Olympics is coming up. And then he talks about his fears about winning. And then he makes this comment about it takes 10 seconds for them to run that length. For me, it would take a little bit longer. But he talks about that 10 seconds, so let me let him speak for us. And that's one of his friends, who is also a runner. Oh, we turned the volume down. Can't hear?
hope it will turn around to stand. Several of you labored around and bullied for this day in, day out. You've seen us travel over us, I'll be bound, out in all weathers, men. Too frightened to win. Ten seconds to justify your existence. It's kind of hopeless, isn't it? How many of you remember who won the 1924 Olympics? Anything other than that movie? You don't. It doesn't, it doesn't last. Thank you. Uh, we'll turn the volume down here. and the lab, You should be able to hear me now because the lab is back up. Okay, can you hear me again? There you go. Yeah, I think that's the master control over there. Okay, so now we have a wise counsel interlude in chapter 4 and chapter 5. So he does, he kind of gives us a break. I mean, because he's kind of like, oh, this is a dead message. This is so bad. It's not encouraging. Actually, it's encouraging. Let's get there. So he says, how can I live today in this world? So he gives some help, and he says, life is best lived shared with companions. Live your life with other people. Don't live by yourself. Two are better than one. Remember, you've heard that phrase before. Remember that success is forgotten over time. Keep that in mind, enjoy that success, but remember it's going to be forgotten. You hear the phrase, what have you done for me lately? Right? You know, I did some great things, but what have you done for me lately? Well, those things don't matter anymore because it's going to get forgotten. Respect God and don't be too casual. I thought it was interesting Solomon included that. Respect God, don't be too casual with him. And I, it really kind of bothers me when people refer to God as the man upstairs. Because I'm thinking, he's not the man, and he's not upstairs. He is God the creator. He is God the creator who, who through Jesus, has allowed us to be in a father-child relationship. But he's still God the creator. All right, under rulers who work outside of government. I just couldn't resist this one. This one is so great. Um, uh, and it's verses, I got 9 and 10 but it's eight and nine, I got it wrong. He said, if you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, notice he's kind of covering everything, do not be shocked at the sight, for one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. So he talks about a bureaucracy, this bureaucracy that's kind of running things and watching things. And then this next verse, which is really weird when you, until you think about it, after all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. What does that mean? It means you have a king that works for a living at something other than kinging or ruling. In other words, he knows what it's like to be a farmer because he is one. Or he works in business and he knows what it's like to deal with government because he's had to do that. And so that gives him that heart 
of understanding who work outside of government. Avoiding the love of money, that's a trap for all of us. And then he goes to number six. Can I enjoy the fruits of my labor? That's kind of a good question. Okay, I'm working hard, can I enjoy it? One of the things I've found is I've just turned 63 and my knees hurt. And I thought, surely it's just a matter of exercise. I went to the knee doctor and he said, well, you know, you're knock kneed where they come together too soon. And he said, on one side you have the knees of an 80 year old. On the other side, you have the knees of a 20 year old. <laughs> I thought I didn't ask for to be knock kneed. And that's just rude. That is just rude. <laughs> He said, and you're going to have knee replacement one of these days. I thought, well, that's really rude. So I'm not planning on it yet, but they do hurt, you know, so I have to work them and stuff. So the question is, can I enjoy the fruits of my labors? I had to go down and get on the ground and turn that little thing on. Sometimes, you know, you get down, you're not sure you're going to get back up, right? It works in lots of areas. So now what's the data? Well, first he says you get money, you're going to lose it. You know, you're going to, you get money, but it's going to get lost. You know, that's kind of always something I've struggled with a lot is I save money for a new car and then I, it's time to buy the new car and I'm thinking, okay, how can I get the car and keep the money? <laughs> and that's uh, love of money and all sorts of things. But he says money is to be enjoyed. Look in verse 19, chapter 5, verse 19. He says, furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, that would be all of us, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. So God gives you the gift, the ability to enjoy the resources that you have. You ever thought about that? Because we're going to talk about the next verse. Look in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And this is the way Solomon describes it. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun and it is prevalent among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a severe affliction. Think about that. You, you finally made it, and something happens, and you don't get to enjoy it. And Solomon is saying, I've seen both extremes. I have seen both extremes. So the question is, can I enjoy the fruits of my labor? The answer is, God gives the power to enjoy the fruits of the labor. And we don't understand why. Don't understand. He doesn't tell us. Remember, he says we're not gonna, he's not going to tell us all of it. Next question is, in chapter 7, so we turn to chapter 7, and he's, Solomon is real big on wisdom, so he's going to say, surely wisdom is the way, right? You would think with Solomon. Wisdom is the way. I mean, that's the, that is the uh, Visa Gold card. It, you get maximum mileage, you know, everything out of it. So is wise living the solution to meaning to life under the sun? And he says, wisdom benefits, but it has limits. But sin diverts us. Sin diverts us. Look in verse 29 of chapter 7. Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright... God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. We find all sorts of ways to sin. You know, I've, I've, always, talked, I've always wondered it took a couple, you know, 1,500 years before God said to Noah, I regret making man and I'm going to kill them all. Because, 
You had these people that were living to be six, seven, eight hundred years. Think of all the sin you could come up with in six, seven, eight hundred years. Think about it. Think how creative you could be, right? With the internet, you can do that in 30 minutes. You know, um, you know, that's one of the things I try to watch, minimize just how much television I watch. Because just in an instant, I'll see something that's evil that I had never would have thought of. But you know what? Now it's here. Now it's here. Kathy was watching something on Shakespeare and his times, and she goes, are you finding that? Is that interesting? I said, yeah, but they were showing some modern English productions of Shakespeare where they were doing some stuff and wearing some stuff. And I said, I'm not comfortable with that because I don't know what I'm about to see. And so that's where we go. We, we, we don't even have to seek it. It comes to us. The answer is wisdom helps, but true wisdom and righteousness are unobtainable. You just can't get there. You're never going to be perfectly righteous in this life. You're never going to be perfectly wise in this life. And, you know, if, if you've had trouble with children, if you've had trouble with other relatives, and you think, if only I had done this differently, would there be different? You know, have, does anybody here have regrets in their life? I do. But, you know, if you have made a mistake or whatever, think about this. If you had done it perfectly, it wouldn't have, probably would not have made any difference. Jesus was perfect, and they crucified him. So the perfect wisdom and righteousness are unattainable. Okay, let's move on. Number eight, we're getting near the end of this session. He says, is there a solution to life's frustrations? I mean, life can be frustrating. It is so. So he gives us some data. He says we're powerless. Look in chapter 8, verses 7 to 8. He said, this is really just so wise. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? I'll just stop there. If you don't know what's going to happen, can you predict when what you don't know is going to happen is going to happen? Do you follow that? You can't because we're ignorant. We're powerless. That's what he's talking about. And evil seems to win. That frustrates me. Injustice bugs me no end. But it's going to lose. At the end, it's going to lose. We have to trust God. We'll get there. It's not knowable. Is there a solution? We can't know it. But wisdom still helps. That's what he's telling us. All right, last question. Can I expect anything good under the sun? It's kind of the, this is kind of the Hail Mary desperate question. Okay, you're taking everything away. Is there anything good? Can I get anything good? All right, let's find out. What's the data? First, he says, no outcome is guaranteed. There's no guarantees. Death is guaranteed. We all get a 100% death tax. It's all, that is guaranteed. But life is still better than death. And I know sometimes people feel that that's not the case, but it is. It's better to be alive than to be dead. Enjoy life's rewards because God gives you the opportunity, but life's results do seem random. Look in verse 11. That's where he talks about it. Again, I saw unto the sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors and neither bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor favor to the men of ability for time and chance overtake them all. All right, so even wisdom is better, but it's often unrewarded. So the good results are not guaranteed. So there's the bad news. We're done. We've made it. Now let's get to the good news. Solomon's going to start building. Step one is chapter 10. I need to pick up the pace a little bit. People are waving at me. 
All right, so we're going to give the data. First, avoid the way of the fool. Don't live like a fool. Second, stay calm around rulers. This is Solomon's advice, people in leadership. Don't get upset and lose your temper or whatever. Do the right thing. Follow the correct roles. Make wise choices. Control your tongue. That's a hard one. Keep your mouth shut. Be thankful for good rulers. We're going to pass on that one for now. <laughs> Do not be lazy. Keep working. And laziness is, is, is tough. And don't criticize others. Just being critical. This is a fabulous verse. i got to do it. He said, verse 20, Furthermore, in your bedchamber do not curse a king, and in your sleeping rooms do not curse the rich man, for, the, for a bird of heavens will carry the sound, and the winged creature will make the matter known. How many of you think birds are listening to what you're saying in your house and are going to take it to somebody? They're not. It's a picture, folks. He's saying... You don't know how they're going to hear, but they're going to hear. It's as though there's a bird out there going, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. I got the tape, the tape's going. Nothing's guaranteed, but God's wisdom normally brings good. Now, step two, be bold, be joyful, be godly. I like that. All right, data in action, bold, invest. We hear a lot about invest. Invest your money, invest your resources. Diversify your resources, your actions, your work. Don't just be focused in one area. Be joyful. Enjoy now. You, you have to enjoy life right now. And that, that is really okay. That's what he's saying. Enjoy what God has given you today because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, and then be godly now, before old age, before death. And as Christians, you're going to see next week that there's a whole lot more. So go seek an amazing life. That's what he wants you to do. Just go. Just do it. Be bold. Be joyful. Be godly. But then he ends, vanity of vanities. Now we're back full circle. Chapter 12, verse 8, he just says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. He's made the circle. So where's he going? What's the answer? Life's meaning. Solomon thought, sought, and organized wisdom. His objective was life change. But then he gets to success in life. And I'm not talking about prosperity preachers or anything. He's saying, you want to know what makes you successful? He gives it right at the end, last two verses. Look what he says. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether good or evil. There's the answer. Devote yourself to God, and God is going to judge everything. But there's more. Judgment is coming. Cody talked about that last week. I've talked to people that basically have that attitude. Who cares? I'm in Christ. As long as I'm there, I'm good. Right? It's the unbeliever who has a lot to fear. They're going to be toast, figuratively and literally. <laughs> Jesus is not just fire insurance. We all heard that, right? Okay, Jesus cares about how we live. Let me give you a little chart that shows you this is about progressive sanctification. We'll talk about this more next week. But you look at it, and at the bottom is human sinfulness. That's where we start before we become a believer. The top is God's righteousness. That black line that's going through there that somebody used PowerPoint to freehand, did a pretty good job, that is progressive sanctification. You see there's ups and downs. See those ups and downs in there where they're just kind of going like this? But there's, it, the upper, the trend line is good. Kind of like everybody in this room. 
Their trend line has always been positive. Nobody's going to respond to that. <laughs> and then at some point, you, they die, or there's a rapture, and they go immediately to glorification. That's when who we are positionally in Christ becomes who we are. Because this fleshly body of mine is sinful, and it is dedicated to sin. Your fleshly body is dedicated to sinning, committed, and there's nothing you can do about it until you're out of it. It's just not going to happen. That's why there's ups and downs. It's not the devil that makes you do it. It's you. But then what about this? What about somebody that's just barely off the ground? You know, when I'm flying that, taking that airplane off, and we're at takeoff speed, and I pull back on the yoke, and the airplane pops off the ground, the instructor says, now level off and pick up some speed before you start climbing. And that's a good idea. But if I don't start climbing at some point, I'm going to hit something. <laughs> okay? There's people that they became a Christian, but nobody ever told them what the next step was. And they go to church. And all of a sudden, they're going to land in heaven. And they're going to go, what happened? And they're going to find out. Then there's these people. They're going along, and then they drop through the floor and they go back to bottom. Some people would say they're not Christians. I would say they are in most cases. What about them? What about those people? We're going to talk about that next time. Because see, at that point is when the judgment happens. That's where it comes into play. So the reality is judgment is coming. And if you're breathing, breathing check, Everybody in here looks like they're breathing. Dr. Ben, you see any blue faces in here? Okay. You can affect the outcome. So that's the deal. If you're breathing, you can affect the outcome. And next week, we're going to talk about success and judgment. And it's going to be an encouraging message. So don't feel like, you know, judgment, that's bad. Okay. If you're not going to come, I'm, save me some time. I won't prepare. But... Uh, <laughs> There is, there is a judgment, and I'm going to talk about not just the fact of judgment, but how to do well in the judgment. People don't talk about that. What are you going to be graded on? Wouldn't that be nice to know? And we, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I'm over time, but until next week, we will talk, take it over, and Don, I'll give it to you. We're going to sing now, so let's all stand and get ready to give glory to God. <laughs>